Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Hale. One of the one of the more exciting opening credit scenes in a movie, I think, over the last uh, about movie that came out about ten years ago. Okay, big gold star. Anybody who can identify it, sir, oh, my people, you have been well discipled. Praise the Lord. Yes. Surrogates with uh, Bruce Willis, definitely not an Oscar winner, but you know, in, in my book, it, it was right up there. One, it was a fascinating movie in the uh, sci-fi genre, and it's set in a future where almost everybody uh, lives through their whole lives through these artificial bodies uh, that walk around and live their lives for them, while their actual selves are tucked away safely at home, kind of in a dark room, plugged into a computer. And uh, so, so their soul is, in a sense, in this, this robot out there, and their mind is projected into that. Meanwhile, their bodies are sitting away in the, in the dark, kind of withering away, and uh, not to give away the spoiler uh, if you haven't seen it, but there's this scene where some folks are, are forced to unplug, like for the first time in years, and they actually walk out into the, the bright streets. And uh, it's fascinating, the, the anxiety and the discomfort that they, there's a disconnection they feel when they're actually walking around as themselves. Uh, it's kind of an intriguing premise for a movie. Um, just one of the perks of being a pastor, I get to pass along my nerd knowledge of movies and help you become a more educated disciple in the cinematic arts. Um, but it, it, this has long been a, a theme of science fiction, as you see through this series. You know, we've seen a couple of clips of different things. This idea of what makes us human and is the self that we're putting out there for the world to see really the real us? Uh, or is it the thoughts that our, our hidden self is thinking? Is that the real us? Who's the, who's the puppet and who's the one pulling the strings, you know, in our daily life? And today we're continuing our series that's all about your identity. We're talking about your identity, seeing ourselves through God's eyes. And if you've noticed, we, we've tried to approach this in, in kind of a novel way. Um, rather than just give you some sort of pop psychology, self-help, uh, we're looking to the Bible as our textbook to discover a sort of spiritual anthropology. How have we evolved as spiritual beings? Uh, we, you could say there, there's plenty of books you can read, and good, there's good stuff out there. Good books you could read, or voices you can listen to, or podcasts, or videos that you can listen to. You know, to help make yourself feel better about yourself. But why not look to the ancient wisdom of the scriptures? to try and piece together what God himself says about us. After all, he is our creator, right? So we want to know what God has to say about us. How does he view us? So this morning, we're going to look at a passage in the Bible that asks this question, what makes us us? What is it that makes us us? What role does our bodies play? Uh, what role does our mind play? What role does our brain play? And is there a distinction between brain and mind? Uh, you know, are we just a collection of neurons and muscles, uh, or is there a deeper, more essential us in there somewhere who forms our true identity? Just quick review. So far, we've talked about humanity functioning for thousands of years as broken image bearers. We're image bearers of God, but now we're broken image bearers of God. And, and then we compensate for that through religion. That's just been the default for mankind. And then Jesus comes along on this rescue mission. He recreates us into humans. Uh, you know, it's U2.0. That was last week. And today we're trying to understand why it is, even with all of that, 
why it is, uh, even as these new creations, we've been set free from the law of sin and death, why do we still often find ourselves sort of stumbling forward into the kingdom rather than soaring majestically, right? We, we, you know, we want to just be soaring majestically into the kingdom, and we're great, we're awesome, we're, you know, we're more than conquerors. But more often than not, the reality is we, we stumble forward. Um, and so that's what we're looking at today. Next week, we're going to wind this up by talking about our destiny, where all this is headed when Christ returns to rule over the, the rule his kingdom once and for all, and we're going to be right there with him in perfect relationship, perfect harmony with him and, and with each other, um, including those who have gone before us. It's, it's a beautiful picture. And then we're ending the series in a couple weeks, uh, as we've been reminding you, with a Q&A Sunday uh, when we will, Melissa and I will be up here and we'll try to answer as many of the questions that we can that you guys are sending in. And you guys are sending in some questions. I appreciate it. You send in more. Um, and so I know you guys, uh, unless you know everything, and then you need to be up here and not me, because uh, I still don't. Uh, uh, I'm sure you've got questions, so send them in, and I imagine they might be a question that probably a lot of other people share too. And so don't be afraid to send in your questions. There's lots of different ways to do it. Through the Chirp Chap is the easiest way, or you can email us at questions at teachers.net, or you can write it down, just put it in the offering, and we'll get it that way too. All right. Now, last week, if you remember, we said that when we put our trust in Christ, something we become something new. It's very clear in the teachings of Jesus and his disciples caught this idea too that we become something new. You become a new creation. It's you 2.0. The, the Apostle Paul writes about this uh, just to kind of review a little bit. He writes this to his friends in Ephesus. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. He's writing a letter to the whole church here. So this is not to a letter written to the exalted echelon of like, you know, spiritual leaders. He's writing everybody, the whole church, and he calls them saints. The word saint in, in the Greek, it means a person who is set apart. It means someone who is holy, set apart for a special purpose. And that's every believer. He says in his letter over to the Colossians, he's, this is how he starts that letter, Paul, an apostle, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters of Christ. So Paul says, you guys are saints, right? If you're a follower of Christ, you're a saint. Now, last week, if you remember, you found out you're a priest, right? So this week, you're finding out you're a saint. You were really getting a spiritual upgrade in this series, right? You're a priest and you're a saint. Way to go. Um, so by saying that we're all saints, Paul is reminding us of something very important, that, that Jesus didn't come to create like a two-tiered Christianity. There's not two-tiered religion. Uh, we don't have a special class of Christians, you know, when they, their job is to live wholeheartedly for Christ and do amazing things and they sacrifice everything, they go out there and, and our job is to stand back and cheer for them. Like, way to go. Y'all are inspiring. Way to go. Um, while the rest of us live ordinary, mundane lives. We're all called priests. We're all called saints. Called to live out that set-apart, special, holy life for God. So you're, you're created to be a saint. That's wonderful. When you think of a saint, you think of somebody who's perfect, right? How's that working for you? Everybody perfect? <laughs> not this morning, someone said, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not off to a good, not, the week's not off to a good start, is it? If you're like me, guess what? You're a saint who sins sometimes, right? I mean, can we get real? You're a saint who stumbles 
James, who was the brother of Jesus, he put it this way in James chapter 3. He says, we all stumble in many ways. It's pretty straightforward. We all stumble in many ways. Now, hopefully, what we're doing is stumbling forward, right? We're walking with Jesus and oh, we're stumbled, but we're going to keep going forward, right? We don't let that derail us. We're moving forward. We stumble forward. Paul says over in 2 Corinthians, he's working towards kind of an explanation for this. Why we are saints and yet how, why we still miss the mark. He says this in chapter 4. It's an interesting thing. But we have this treasure. The treasure here is, is, is who we really are. This, this us that God has created us to be. So we have this treasure in these jars made of clay, right? The body that we live in. So that, why do we have this treasure? So that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. Amen. This power comes from God. It doesn't come from us. So that's interesting. Like it or not, God, when he saved you, when he redeemed you and made you his own, he didn't create you, he didn't instantly turn you into a super uberhuman you know, like a, like a surrogate. He actually allows us to continue in our frailness, in our weakness. Somehow we're working together with him, but we're still us, you know, in the flesh here. We're allow, he allows growth to happen as a process. And this is an important just fact of the Christian walk. He allows growth, and he does want growth, but it happens in a process, doesn't it? It doesn't happen instantaneously, as much as we wish it did. It doesn't happen instantaneously. What he has done, we believe instantaneously, is, is a transformative, recreative work in our spirit. He's made us alive. So we've been transformed. We've been reborn. But we are still living inside a jar of clay, this body. And, and that's going to create some fascinating paradoxes, right? Because what our main passage is going to reveal to us today, and if you have your Bibles, you can go over it. it's in Romans 7. What it's going to show us today is that sometimes our bodies actually affect our spirits, and our flesh, this weak part of us, who, who we are, has an effect on us. But, but are these the real us? Is this body the real us? We could summarize it this way, this sort of paradox. We are free from the law of sin. We are free from the power and the penalty of sin. But we are not free from the lure of sin. We're not free from the possibility or the presence of sin, right? So we're made free from the penalty. There's no judgment. Hallelujah, there's no condemnation, right? There's no condemnation. The price has been paid. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul's going to tell us in Romans 8. We'll look at that in Home Life this week. Sin is no longer our master, I mean, that's good news. If you have my background, you know, the things that I was doing, thank God, that's no longer my master. I'm not a slave to those sins anymore. Amen? But it's, it's funny. Sin can still lie to you. It can still tell you that it's the master. It's in charge. Right? It can still tell you that's who we really are. So we're free from the penalty and power of our sin, but we're not free from the lure of sin. It's still present. Uh, in our bodies, within our flesh, in our brain, and so it's always present, and it, it, therefore it's always a possibility, depending on how we interact with our own flesh, which, side note, is why we want to walk in humility and not pride. 
Because pride can get you derailed super fast if you think, that can never happen to me. I would never do that, right? That's how a lot of preachers have fallen. Um, let's, I'm gonna, let's, let me give you a visual so we're on the same track. Because I understand we live, in a, we live in a particular culture. And there's a way that we typically look at the, the self in our culture. Um, here's a picture. Here's our friend Bruce Campbell. Another gold star, can you name it? The movie? Army of Darkness, Evil Dead, that's right, that's right, my people. All right, now actually what this kind of describes here is we actually reject this sort of pop cultural idea. Uh, And this idea is that who you are is this neutral person, right, the one in the middle, and you are influenced by your good side and your bad side. You have your, your inner demons, right? People talk about that. I got my inner demons. Or my better angels. I have to be influenced by my better angels. We talk about those things. Who am I going to listen to today? And being good is really about choosing which of those shoulders you're going to listen to from moment to moment. Um, that's, that's a little scary. Let's go to something lighter. There we go. So, so here's Homer. And in Freudian terms, if we were going to get super psychological here, uh, Homer is the, the ego, uh, he would be, he's the ego, he's the you. And there, the, the angel is the super ego. And then kind of this dark side over here is your id. And so life is basically a competition between your super ego and your id vying for the loyalty of the ego, the homer. Um, we, we, we could say it this way. Uh, let's see. No, let me back up a little bit. What's interesting is, is the apostle Paul also uses... Uh, the word ego in his language. He uses ego, the self, the I. But he does something fascinating. Paul doesn't follow this pop psychology. And what the scripture shows us is going on inside us. Paul says, no, no, no. The, the I that I truly am, I'm not a neutral person. I'm a perfect person or perfected person. I'm a redeemed person. The I, the ego, I am remade. I've been remade. I've been born again. I'm in a new creation. And so this negative force that opposes me is not like the dark half of me, you know, like Star Wars, the force, I have the light and the dark. It's not the dark half of me. No, no, no. That negative force is the old me who's been pushed off the throne. It's now been pushed kind of out to the perimeter of, of who I am because now God's spirit is dwelling in the renewed, perfected part of me. So here we go. We can say it this way. For Christ followers, the struggle that's going on within us, it's not a battle between your good self and your evil self. Rather, it's a, it's a battle between your true self and your false self. Amen. You don't have a light side and a dark side. You have a light side. If, you're, if you follow Christ, you have a light side and then you have a lie. And you can, you can be the light that you are or you can be a lie. So this is very important. It's, the battle is between our true self and our false self. So with that in mind, keeping this in mind, now we can, we can go to our Bibles. We can look at Romans chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 14. I'm going to read one other scripture first. Um, but what Paul is trying to do here is provide an answer to a question that is kind of perplexing, which is, if we are perfected in Christ, if we've been made anew, why do we keep sinning? Why does this keep, why do we keep doing this? And, and chapter 7, Paul's going to give a diagnosis to this problem. And chapter 8, which we'll look at in home life, he's going to give the antidote, the, the remedy. 
But this is perplexing because there are passages in Scripture. For instance, the Apostle John says this in 1 John 5.18. This is kind of a head scratcher. We know that those who are born of God do not sin. Everybody good? How's that working for you? Those of you who are born of God do not sin. So there we are. We know that everyone born again, we don't sin anymore. Uh, How can John say this? Not only from just experience, but James just admitted that we all stumble. We're going to hear Paul admit that he stumbles. And so when Paul writes the Corinthian church, he's addressing, remember, he's talking to the church and he's addressing sin that they were wrestling with. Um, I'm telling you what, in 1 Corinthians, they're involved in all kinds of messed up behavior, right? And he's addressing them as brothers and sisters, but they were still in sin. And so we know scripturally that somehow people can continue to sin, and yet these kind of bold statements can be made that Christians don't actually sin. What is going on there? And what Paul is about to say here, what he's going to address, for me, at least, that this is the most potentially profound, transformative passage in the New Testament, for this topic at least, for understanding who I am and how I am going to live. Okay, so here we go, Romans 7. We're going to start in verse 14. There we are. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual. The law is spiritual. Okay, so when he's talking about the law here, uh, he's, he's usually talking about the Old Testament law, the, the Old Covenant, the law. The whole chapter has been about the law up to this point, living according to the law, doing your religious duty, and yet we can't live up to it. So does that mean that the law is bad? He says, no, the law is spiritual. Here's the problem. But I am of the flesh, the flesh. And the word there he uses is this Greek word, sarks. And it doesn't mean anything very complicated. It's actual flesh, your meat, right? This, the bones and the skin, the sarks, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want to do, but I do do the very thing I hate. And all God's people said, yeah, I get it, right? You ever had those experiences where you just, you, you say to yourself, I don't get myself sometimes. Like, who was that? Why did I, I don't even recognize myself. Why, why did I behave that way? Who was that? And sometimes we know, you know, we have this sense, we know that there's something about me that's just not me. And so, so we'll step back and we'll ask ourselves, who are you? Right? And we want to look around, we want to blame something else. And sometimes we'll, you know, we will, we'll, we'll think, well, that wasn't me. Oh, sorry, that, that was, you know, I didn't have my coffee yet this morning, right? Or you know what? I've just been really stressed out this week. That was the stress talking. Sorry about that. That was the frustration talking. Uh, it wasn't me. We want to blame something. Sorry, I've just been really short on sleep. Uh, I've just been so tired or something. We have this sense that something's to blame because surely that wasn't us. Something's to blame. So something that causes us to make decisions, something there is out of tune with who we actually want to be. It's out of tune. And Paul says, yeah, I know, I get that. Sometimes I just don't know myself. I don't get it. In verse 16, he says this. If I do not, or if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good. So he's saying, I don't blame the law. 
that's not the problem. But here it is. Here's the verse that blows me away in verse 17. I could think about this and talk about it and meditate it all day long. He says, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. It is no longer I, that's the ego. It's not me actually who sins, but when I sin, I actually don't sin. It's sin living in me. Paul has completely reoriented his understanding of of self and who we are here. Now, if you're a a smart person, and I think everybody here is, you're probably thinking right now, wait, this could really be abused, right? Yeah, it sure can. Uh, The the devil made me do it. It wasn't me. I could blame all kinds of things. And, And if you're looking for opportunities to abuse this and manipulate the gospel for your own gain, boy, it is easy to do. In fact, right from the New Testament onward, I mean, as soon as the church begins, yeah, abuse begins. Immediately, right from the start, we find people instantly wanting to abuse this message of of grace. I mean, this is why 1 Corinthians was written. He wrote that letter to correct all these abuses of this church who were taking advantage of this. And, And, you know, God is incredibly gracious towards us. And people will will come back to that and just go, okay, great. Well, then I can do whatever I want. But what Scripture reveals is that is actually evidence of an, of an untransformed heart. That's an untransformed heart. So, because for somebody who has been transformed, when Jesus has come in and just created a, a turned you into a, a brand new creature, when he saved you, uh, that, that is, you were transformed and the Holy Spirit inside is working from the inside out. It works within us. And, and we are so grateful for what he has done for us, that that gratitude becomes our motivation. That gratitude becomes our motivation for everything. Gratitude, not fear of judgment or fear of condemnation or, you know, trying to stay on God's good side. It's gratitude for our salvation that actually works within us to motivate us toward good works, right? So yes, I understand this can definitely be abused, but it can be abused by someone who's actually not interested in following Jesus, which is what this is all about. We want to be followers of Jesus, right? right? The person who does follow Jesus, that gratitude bubbles up within, and we say, how can I become the person that God has designed me to be? Even though right from the beginning, people had started abusing, abusing this, Paul never backs down from the radical nature of this message. Right from the first century, um, there was a movement called the Gnostics. The Gnostics. Uh, the Gnosticism taught... It was, a, it was a big movement. There was a lot of different facets to it. But one of, the, one of the big things they taught was that the physical was the problem. They lived essentially, it was sort of the religious version of the Greek philosophy of dualism, the physical and the spiritual. And they're at war with each other, the physical and the spiritual. And so what we find in the Gnostic circles, the physical is the enemy. Everything physical is the enemy. The physical flesh, anything material, by definition, is evil. And so the Gnostics would live this very separated kind of life, and, and they would say, well, I guess if the Spirit is all that matters, some of them would, would, would reason, well, if the Spirit is all that matters, the flesh doesn't matter at all, well, I could just give in to any pleasure in the world. I can give in to any, any inclination I want. I can hurt anybody I want. It doesn't matter because that's not actually us, right? That's not me out there. That's my, that's my surrogate. That's my avatar out there working, right? Because that's not me. 
And so that's one way uh, the Gnostics would approach things, and the Apostle Paul would said to no to that. Now, some Gnostics took the opposite approach, and you see this uh, arising, uh, where they would reason, no, 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 the body is evil and so bad that we have to punish it. We have to beat it down. And so you had uh, the rise of the monastic movements, and, you know, they would sort of uh, self-flagellation. They would whip themselves and beat themselves and, and force themselves to live suffering uh, in different ways where, where, so they could punish their bodies in order to show that they stood opposed to the physical, uh, that everything physical was bad. Anything pleasurable was bad. They would eschew all pleasurable things because it was bad as part of the physical. And this was condemned as heresy by the second century church fathers, this whole idea of Gnosticism. But the fact is certain forms of Gnosticism has always persisted in the church, even to today. And sometimes it's in ways that we don't even realize. This division, essential division between the physical and the spiritual, so that who I am in the spirit doesn't connect at all with who I am in the, in the body, right? And so even today in the church, we can fall into two different ditches, and both of these ditches are kind of a uh, a, an echo of this Gnostic thought, right? On the one side, we can say, well, God saved me. I'm, you know, he's covered me in his grace, so I can do anything I want, right? I'm just going to live however I want. Doesn't matter. You know, the last day I die, I get to go to heaven. That's what matters. And this is called fire insurance salvation, right? I get to get out of hell. That's all salvation is. It's my get out of hell card. Uh, on the other side of this thing is, on the other side of Gnosticism is the sort of judgmental holiness religion, Right? And, and where everything pleasurable, don't trust anything physical, don't trust your emotions, don't trust your feelings, none of that matters, just push it all down, and you, you just live these spiritual lives that really have no connection with your own suffering, the suffering of other people, it's just these, these very spiritual disembodied kind of lives, and all of this is completely at odds, you understand, with what Christ desires to do in the kingdom, which is to bring into unity the spirit and the body, to reconcile all things to him, right? The spiritual and the physical. So we become, become these unified creatures. That's the goal. He wants us to be these unified creatures at peace, right? Not these schizophrenic divided selves, either mistrusting anything, you know, physical or emotional or, 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 or reason or feelings or giving into our cravings because our physical selves don't matter. So there's a lot of potential for abuse. But despite all of this, all of this possibility and all this messiness, Paul stands firm on this. He says, I don't, I don't sin. There's the force in me that sins. And this powerfully affects my self-identity. And that's what we're talking about in this series is our identity. This affects my identity. So when I hear competing voices now, I don't have to say, well, which side am I going to listen to, my good side or my bad side? Because I know who I am. There is only one me. I can choose, I can choose to bring my body, my flesh, into harmony with my true self. I don't have to listen to the lying voice. And that's what, it, that's what we want to do. You do not have to listen to a dead echo of the old you, right? That old man, old person, old woman is dead and gone. You're a new creation, right? And so you can live in harmony with yourself, the real you. Let's keep going here. Paul says this, for I know 
that nothing good dwells within me. And then he clarifies that in, his, in my flesh, in my flesh, that sark, skin and bones. But that's not the real me. He says, I can will what is right, but I cannot do it, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. He just repeated that same shocking phrase for emphasis. So I find it a law that when I, there's the, there's the ego, when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. Doesn't that, that reminds me of that passage when we were looking at Cain and Abel. When God warned Cain, be careful. The evil is crouching at the door. He's crouching. Evil lies close at hand, close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self. His true self, that phrase inmost self, it literally in the Greek, Paul says my inside human. It means my inside human, my inmost self. I delight in God's law, I really do. But I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind. Now here we get to an important concept here. This is the first time in this passage, in this little story here, that Paul talks about this concept of the mind, the intellect, the reasoning. And it's a battleground. It's waging war against the law of my mind. The, the word is nous in, in the Greek, if you're a geek like me. The mind. You know, our, our brains are, are fascinating things. Your brain's an organ, isn't it? Right? We can, we can actually look at the brain. We can't look at a spirit, but we can look at a brain. It's a physical part of your body. We can study it with science. We can hook electrodes up to it. It works biochemically and electrically. It's part of the flesh. We can stick electrodes and see what's going on. Some folks' brains are smaller than others, but everybody has one, right? But we got that little brain in there. We can look at it. We can, see, we can watch it tick. But in our brain, there is something else. There is a mind. There's something more going on there. In the mind, there's light and there's life, there's consciousness. All of this is even today still a mystery for doctors and philosophers and theologians alike. How does that consciousness get attached to a brain and become self-reflecting? How is it self-reflective? And, and think thoughts. Think the thoughts that you're thinking right now. The thoughts that you're thinking as you hear this, as you process this. The mind is, is linked with the brain, and yet it's not just another organ. Check one, check one. Right? Your kidneys aren't thinking about themselves. Right? A rock can't think about itself. But somehow your brain and your mind are linked in this way where it can be self-reflective. So this intersection right here between our physical brain, the flesh is what the word the Bible uses, and then our mind, that noose, which has been purified in Christ, and then our spirits interact with our bodies through our brain. And so the brain becomes this fascinating crossroads of who we are between the spiritual and the physical here. So Paul says, so this other law is at war in, this other law at war in me is making me captive. And that word is, is like the word for a, taking a prisoner of war. Like there's a battle and I've been taken captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? I tell you, I love, I love Paul so much. I appreciate so much his transparency and his authenticity here, right? He's not a writing the church saying as some exalted person who has everything all together. He's being, he's being something here that actually helps us. 
And this word wretched here is such a beautiful word. It's, it's talaiporos in the Greek, and it's an it's a interesting combination, fascinating combination of words. Uh, it's, it's a combination of the, of the complete stress and trial. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Uh, just tribulation, right? Just oh, overcoming stress and trial and tribulation combined with the word for uh, calluses, for developing, developing calluses. And he's saying, I feel like a person who has been through so much. I've tried so hard and so much has been done to me. And sometimes, uh, you know, I realize that I, I've, I've done stuff to other people. I've hurt others and I've been hurt and I've done the hurting. It's been so hard that, you know what, sometimes I, I just get numb to the whole thing. I want to check out. I just want to get to where I don't even feel anymore. There's just too much pain. Anyone ever been there? Maybe you can relate. And the Apostle Paul says, that's what I feel like right now. The pain done to me. And even worse, realizing the pain that I've caused other people, sometimes I just want to build like calluses around that and just check out this, you know, living this screwed up life that I've become. And Paul says, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. He says, I feel that way. But here's the good news. That's not the end. Here's the good news. This, he assures us and what he's going to, what he's going to drive home in chapter 8 is that this wretchedness that most everybody is familiar with at one time or another is something we may regress to sometimes, but it's not something that we should remain in. You may regress to it, but you shouldn't remain in it. So he just asks, who will rescue me? And in his next words, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because see, up to now, notice he's just kind of just been talking about himself. He hadn't mentioned the Holy Spirit or Jesus or God or anything like that. This is me. There's this war within me. So we have, we have a Savior. So your mind, let's talk about how we fight this. Your mind, this, this point of connection between the spiritual and the physical, this is where the battle is. The battle is in the mind. And, and that means... Because it's this, this nexus of the spiritual and the physical, that means sometimes we, we might need to approach things with a combination of physical and spiritual corrections. There can be a combination of these things. So on the natural side, there might be some medications that you need, things that are happening in your mind. There might be some counseling that would really be beneficial for you, right? I, I've talked to people... Uh, I remember one time, especially, and there was, you know, help me, give me a scripture to help me deal with the abuse that I suffered growing up. And we, we looked at the scriptures and we prayed, and, and then I said, and you know what else? You mind, uh, some therapy would probably be very good <laughs> for you, right? Because the mind is this nexus of the spiritual and the physical. So there can be physical and spiritual corrections there. Um, I am not a licensed psychotherapist, so I'm going to give you the spiritual. Here we go, right? Paul reveals what we can do on the spiritual side to get ourselves realigned. He talks in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self. That's the old anthropos, the old person who's, who's corrupted and deluded by its lusts. And to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's a fascinating phrase. Some translations might say the attitude of your mind, the thoughts of your mind. 
Then he says, and to clothe yourself with the new self, created according to the likeness of God. Oh, there it is, the image of God. We've come full circle. We're created in God's image, and, and there we come all the way back, the whole human project here, the creatures who were made in the image of God, the likeness of God from the very beginning, and we fell and we're broken and we, were corru- we corrupted ourselves, right? And we just spread this disease like wildfire, wildfire. We hurt other people all around us. We hurt the planet. We hurt ourselves. But through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, God remakes us in his image. He remakes us. And once again, this new person, this new you who's living on the inside, this is who you are. So, what does this mean for us? He says in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed to this world, because that's not you anymore. Don't be conformed to this world. Literally, that word world there is this present age. It's not the, world, the word they would use for world as in cosmos, like, you know, the planet or something. They, this means like the age, the, the zeitgeist. The, some translations would say the pattern of this world is the times we live in, the cultural trends, whatever's the in way of, of behaving. He says, don't be conformed to it. Don't use any excuses. Don't use the excuse of your age or your stage, your gender, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic status. Don't use these as excuses anymore, right? So no more just saying, well, this is just what people in my category do, right? Hey, I'm 15. This is just how we tweet. This is how we Snapchat, you know? Well, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Actually, you don't have to be imprisoned by that. You don't have to bow down to that, right? Well, you know what? I'm a retiree. This is just how we are, right? We start a garden. We watch the news and we yell at it. We like, I don't know. (laughs) Virtue signal on Facebook or something, all this kind of stuff. Uh, But guess what? You were created for more than that. You're created for more than that. And you, you, you can make an impact and gardens are great, don't get me wrong, but you're, you're created for more. You can make an impact. Don't give up. And every age and stage in between, every single generation in between, well, you know what, this is just how we, you know, Italians are, whatever. No, your spirit is not Italian, okay? Your spirit is a new creation. You can be this new creation, whatever your ethnicity is, whatever your gender is, right? Hey, I'm just a guy. Come on, that's what guys do, right? That's how we roll. No. You are more than this jar of clay, this bag of meat. You're more than that. You're called to a new way. You don't have to to give in to the culture of the age, the zeitgeist. You don't have to give in to that. We belong to a whole different culture. We belong to a different kingdom. We talked last week, right? We are citizens of a different kind of kingdom. We set a, a different pattern of being, a different pattern of behavior for ourselves. And we do it by transforming our mind, renewing our mind. So if you're here today, and if you had to be honest with yourself, you'd say, yeah, sometimes, maybe a lot of times, maybe a little bit of times, I can identify with those stumbling saints. What does God say to do? We know one thing, Romans 8 says, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. So the answer isn't to feel condemned or to feel like, oh, it must not have, I must not have really got saved. God calls you one of his. You're his daughter. 
through his son. And he tells us that when we sin, all we have to do is repent. We just say, God, I blew it again, and I repent. And I thank you, I thank you that I'm still one of yours. I'm still your child. We stumble forward. That's stumbling forward. We repent, and we keep on going, right? And it doesn't matter if sin for you means you robbed another bank last week (laughs) or you succumb to a weakness, succumb to an addiction, whether you succumb to anger or lust or jealousy or pride or pride or pride. Talking to you, Scott. He's faithful. He's your father. He loves you. All right? He loves you. He's faithful. You can come to him. And you can thank him for what he has already done inside you. Now, what you want to do is start living who you are. Be who you are. Be who you are. Here's my challenge for you this week. Be who you are this week by consciously and intentionally overriding those natural inclinations of your old man. Let your new creation take the lead. Did you know you can do that? You can let your new creation take the lead. It's called walking in the spirit. That's the phrase the Bible uses. It just means letting the real you be the one in charge. You're going to do that this week. I'm going to challenge you by doing something, leaning into something that is not maybe what is in your typical wheelhouse, okay? So for some of you, it might be prayer. If that's not something that comes easy for you, do that every day this week. Just a one-week challenge, right? Every day, decide, you know what, I'm going to talk to God about how I'm feeling, how I'm doing, what I'm going through. I'm going to open up that line of communication because maybe me and God, we haven't talked a lot lately. Every day, take that time to pray. For some of you, it may be reading scripture. Just read a portion of scripture every day. Romans 8 is a great place to start. Check out this and, and, and read a little bit of it every day this week. Meditate on it. Chew on it. Talk about it with friends. See what they think about it. Bring your thoughts to home life. But read scripture. For some of you, it's fellowship. And here's what I mean by fellowship. That is, every day, I'm going to move beyond the people that I live with or the people that I naturally talk to every day to connect with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to do something outside of what comes naturally. Even if it's just for five or 10 minutes every day, I'm going to call someone up. Maybe it's just a little 10 minute conversation. I'm going to call someone up. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to process with them what I'm working on in my life, what they're working on in their life. We pray together. Lastly, for you, it could be sharing your faith. Sharing your faith. For you, it might be It might be that your soul doesn't catch fire the way that you're craving it to. You might be sitting there going, man, I just wish I had the fire. I wish I had that. It might not be that that doesn't happen until you push back finally against the freakiness of just being honest with other people about what you believe and what has happened to you, right? And in that sharing, you realize, this is who I really am. It's good to be me. And you catch that fire. But I encourage you, do this. Every one of us, do at least one of these every day this week. Don't listen to this sermon and walk away and do nothing. This isn't a TED talk, all right? This isn't just fun and interesting. 
don't walk away and do nothing. The apostle James describes that kind of person as someone who walks away from a mirror and instantly forgets what she looks like. Don't be that. Know who you really are and become who you really are this week. The image bearer of God that his voice is calling you to. His voice is calling you to that, right? Because now in your mind, guess what? It's not just you. It's not just you. There's like a dual consciousness going on inside you when you come to Christ. And he is talking to your spirit and you're working things through with him. So you're not alone. No one walks alone, okay? So don't ignore his voice. Let that voice transform you this way. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.